all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about everything value creation and startups. Today, I am speaking to Jen Abel, who is the co-founder of Jellyfish, which is a go-to-market agency and workshop and you know think trust that helps early-stage companies scale and find that product slash go-to-market fit. Uh, today, I am super excited. Jen is actually one of my favorite people to follow on on X. Is that what we're calling it now? X? Uh, for a second, I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Sounds like, a, like it's a porn site. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or an OnlyFans. Yeah, I was like, oh. exactly. She's my favorite X. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's exactly what we're calling it. I'm surprised. I'm, I'd be shocked how many other people have had to say that today. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I apologize. I, I do a lot of ranting on there. So, um, it's, well, it's a good message, right? And, you know, I want to go into what that message really is from you, but just from a little background perspective, I'd love to kind of understand a little bit where you came from before you started this, sure. um, kind of customer discovery slash go to market, um, you know, what would you call, I wouldn't even call it an agency. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a launch pad. Yeah. It's, um, I don't even know the right word for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Launch pad, like compass, Mm -hmm. just, um, source like, you know, we, we, I joke around, I'm like, we're, we're the only place on the planet where founders can get like the real raw truth. Exactly. <laughs> uh, which is kind of a daunting thing at the same time. But, right. um, but yeah, just a quick background on myself. Um, was so lucky to be a part of the startup ecosystem, you know, back in like 2010, 2011, 2012, when, you know, building a startup was all based off of first principles and the foundations, right? We didn't, we weren't in like a zero interest rate market at that time. Um, and we first started out at a company called general assembly, which was a, was maybe one of the first New York city startup darlings. Um, I'm trying to think back, um, and was the second sales hire there. Um, then went off to a healthcare tech startup and then a YC back startup as the first sales hire and realized in those three different stints, the same exact thing, which is founder, you know, hired me or the first few people. And we're like, go out and figure out what the market wants, report back and we'll build it. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, what, what constraints do I have? Um, where do I even start? Who do I go after? Um, I had so many questions and I remember saying, Hey, until I can, until we have a little bit of bit more clarity around what this will look like, will you join me in these calls? Like they're going to want to hear from 
the only person they want to hear from is you. They don't care about me, this salesperson. They want to hear from the founder. And because we haven't had this, we don't have a structure or a process or even just an entry point yet. Like, can I have you involved? And they said, sure. So I ran 90% of the, you know, follow up, the prep, all of that. And then they came in and as the visionary. And I realized after doing this the first or second time, the third time I was like, oh, I know how to do this now. I got to bring in the founder. I'll, I'll sit alongside them and act as the, as the co-pilot and, and the guide here when it comes to sales, but like, I need them to be the visionary. And that was kind of the, the moment where, where my now co-founder, we met at our last job, our last full-time job together. And we were like, wait a second. Every founder keeps reaching out to us being like, Hey, how do I hire someone like you to do this for my organization? And I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Like, this is, this is an opportunity that hasn't really been take you know, hasn't really been built out yet, which is zero to one sales talent does not exist. That's the mm-hmm. founder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like what got us, what got us thinking in a little bit of my a track record, but have always done zero to one. I have no idea how to do one to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and absolutely love the ambiguity, the, just the, the, the murkiness of early stage sales and you have to be crazy to want to do it. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is my confession that I think I'm crazy. So you, you, yeah, I can see it. I can see it, but you, you're marrying two very, very different skill sets, personality traits, disciplines, yep. you know, where, you know, you have, you know, salespeople that really are a series of interviewers that are obsessed and maniacally obsessed with getting to the truth and identifying pain and building trust. And then you have founders who want to build and solve problems and to ignore kind of that front end piece. Yep. Um, Which leads me to a tweet or an X. Is it an X? It's a, I think it, I think it is a, yeah, <laughs> it's an X. <laughs> These are tough questions. Here, These, I don't yeah. know. This, I asked ask the yeah. hard questions. Yeah. Right? So this is a, a, an X from you today that says for startups, confidence before evidence is what leads to premature scaling. So yeah. what does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, you, passion is a double-edged sword. Let's just start there. Like founders who Ooh will go out and launch their own startup, right? You have to, you're dedicating your life to something, right? Like you have to be somewhat biased. But on the other hand, you're filled with blind confidence because this thing is still an experiment. Mm -hmm. So you have this, I'm dedicating my life to something. I'm going to make it work. Married with, uh, I I think I know what the market needs and I'm going to go out and build it and I'm going to will it to my world. And that's the biggest mistake first time founders make, which is having an idea and having a product without knowing the specific problem or whom you're building it for is the number one reason first time founders fail Mm -hmm. and or prematurely scale, meaning they want to delegate sales as fast as possible because I don't know many founders that love sales or will even admit to loving sales. Mm-hmm. They want to bring in some sales rock star to take it over, but they're not the visionary, right? A sales rock star is great at, you know, getting told no thousands of times over and navigating, 
you know, a pulse check, which is like, I heard they didn't agree with this, but I heard this, Mm -hmm. right. And finding those breadcrumbs. But, you know, if you don't have a visionary, it is near impossible to go from zero to one. Like I I've actually never seen, and I'm curious if you've seen this, I've never seen a startup where zero to one was not led by the founder and they've gone on to raise, so they've gone on to be successful. I don't think so. I think the just the early adopter curve has to be because they're buying the CEO most yeah, of the time. Absolutely, you know, that's a, that's absolutely it's a right. cheat code, right? You know, yeah. you're just like yeah. you're just kind of pushing it, and you're pushing money around, and you know, hopefully it works. Yep, because yeah, at the end of the day, and for an early stage startup, you're buying the vision of the founder, you're buying the throat to choke of going right to the founder, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to go through other people. And you're buying the willingness to know that they want a case study from you and you're going to get their all. Like those are three big leverage points that that's the early stage startups can take advantage of. But if, and only if the founder is the one at the tip of the spear, mm-hmm. it is a competitive advantage that is often just thrown aside. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, it's interesting. I've always prided myself on, you know, really digging into vertical SaaS solutions because generally mm. speaking, the founders have some domain expertise or they're subject matter experts. They really can identify the platform and the the product and solution set, you know, isn't, we're not trying to appease a giant market. There's generally less competition, less venture dollars going into it. But I feel like the bias is, you know, are, are even stronger, right. Um, with these subject matter experts and generally these people come from their, you know, perspective industries, they've never built product before, Mm. you know, and, um, have you, have you seen that in the vertical construct that, you know, it's, it's almost what's the better founder. Is it the subject matter expert or is the, is it maybe the more of the generalist that, um, is attunely, you know, uh, able to listen to a market and build a product with yeah. lean principles. So I haven't really thought about that in like true depth, but like my immediate reaction is if you can understand the problem better than the market, that's what takes you from zero to one, mm-hmm. right? Like expecting to have a fully fleshed out built product at the zero to one stage or the early stage. However, I think that if you don't know how to build product, that will absolutely block you from scaling mm-hmm. and, or you probably will have super high churn, mm-hmm. right? Because in the zero to one stage, and we, we were kind of just alluding to this in our previous question, you know, it's all about vision, um, you know, direct access to the founder and the willingness to know that this startup is going to do everything they can to make this work for me, knowing that they want a case study and a reference, that's what kind of gets you in that first early zero to one buy. I've never, let's put it this way. I've never in the zero to one stage, if you're building, um, you know, vertical SaaS, the problem is it's much harder to find. Like, I think a lot of, I think every startup starts out verticalized, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so I think every startup that I've ever touched is, 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 inherently a vertical startup and then they grow horizontally organically. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of like the longevity, I actually don't know that answer. Do you have, do you have a thought on that? Well, it's, it's my, my, it's shifting, right. You know, because I was talking to a product manager of one of my old portfolio companies and, you know, he joined this particular company super early and my experience never lent to, 
like hiring like real big product people, like heavy mm. product people in super early stage, because I always felt that that should have been delegated to the founder, but like, fuck, I'm open-minded. Right. Sure. <laughs> and, um, I, I asked him, I was like, do you, do you feel like it is, uh, imperative for a product person to come in at the early stage or should that role sit in the founder? And he said, and he, you know, um, I think referenced somebody famous and, um, you know, very rich in Silicon Valley saying that every founder should be a product founder, right. Or have some kind of product background in order to be successful, which I think was kind of interesting. Yeah. But then you look, there's some pretty successful companies that have shitty products. Yeah, exactly. So, um, do you, so like you, we keep talking about zero to one. So, I mean, obviously that, that, that term was, you know, uh, brought out of zero to one, the book by Peter Thiel. What does zero one mean to you? Yeah. The one usually means how do I get to my first million of ARR? Um, oh, okay. Where I, where I have that traction, where I have that, that ability to like go on and raise, you know, a series A. Mm-hmm. Got it. So okay. Like so zero to one to me is like pre C to series A. Got it. Okay. So you're not referring to like, this is a new product that the world has oh, no, never no. seen. Okay. Yeah, got no. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm um, glad you asked me to clarify that. Cause I could absolutely see how someone would interpret that differently. Right. Um, yeah, because then it's like, I mean, I hate zero to one products because then you have to educate a market. Oh. <laughs> you know, like that's, I'd much rather, you know, ride on someone else's coattails. Yeah. And you have to have a lot of money to do that. Yeah. 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 A, yeah. a lot of budget and, you know, talk about vision. You almost have to have like kind of a sociopathic founder that is just relentlessly like trying to change the world. And, yep. you know, I'd totally. much rather have somebody where there's budget authority and there's usually some kind of uh, motion motion in that in that ge uh, general direction so tell me i mean so gel so what is jellyfish and you know like how i mean you kind of we talked about it tangentially that you're kind of marrying early stage sales process with founder vision how is that executed how do you work with clients yeah dot dot, dot. yeah so um we specific, I mean, we are very focused in like the stage of experiments we are running because a startup is just an experiment, right? Every venture round is you pass in the next experiment and, and moving, moving forward. So our, we specifically support with the founder led sailing stage, right? Um, I think that so many founders are technical and engineering centric and don't have the rep, the sales reps. Maybe they've sold, you know, once or twice or for a year or two, but they don't have the pattern recognition or reps um, to avoid a lot of the common missteps. So what we do is we embed alongside founders, we force them to put their vision on paper, and then we actively go out and help them validate what part of their vision is most true directly with their ideal customers knowing that there is not a startup on the planet whose day one vision was the same vision that took them to product market fit. Mm -hmm. So I always tell founders, I'm like, listen, this is not for the faint of heart, knowing that if we are not invalidating parts of your vision, we're not doing something properly. Because mm -hmm. there's a 0% chance you could be fully correct about all of this. Mm -hmm. um, so like, literally just structuring their thinking, turning them into a laser actively going out and getting evidence directly from their ideal customers to help us understand how they're thinking about this problem, keeping all of those conversations consistent because it's what, what gets you to a level of repeatability is consistency mm -hmm. and helping structure all of that call feedback and all of those conversations in a way to help bubble up 
What are those insights? Where are things validated and invalidated? And then every single month refining the next experiment. Because as a startup, speed to learning is speed to product market fit, right? And there's so many founders where I spoke to them the last quarter and I'm like, okay, well, where are you guys today? And they're in the same spot. And mm-hmm. three months have gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we want to do is force founders to be like, if you're not learning every month and crossing things off your list or, or circling things on, uh, that's part of your vision and going deeper and deeper and deeper, like there's something very wrong. So, um, how mu- so how much of the, I mean, from a tactical perspective, yeah. how, how important is, is the founder from your lens, is it important for them to be on the call and to be a part of this process to narrow in the product vision and get them kind of like, as it come to Jesus of what the market actually wants, or is it more of, um, I, I should say, kind of giving them like the sets and the reps to, yep. you know, become better right yeah, at it. It's both. It's both because, um, most of the time they get in their own way, mm-hmm. right? Like they'll focus on something that I'm like, why did you go down that track? Mm-hmm. Like, why did you spend 15 minutes talking about this? You don't even solve for that. Right. Um, so a lot of them get in their own way. A lot of them just want to race to sell because they think the demo is what creates urgency. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's them. It's the aha moment regards the problem it has nothing to do with your demo. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting them to, um, first understand how do I get to know the problem better than the customer? That's what wins, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Like all of these things that you've just outlined, those are symptoms. This is the problem. And this is why we solve it. And this is how we solve it. But if you can't get them to head nod around the problem and agree that that's the problem, showing them how to solve for it is useless. It's just a wasted exercise. Mm -hmm. So um, just helping the founders know how to push and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, And then also, most importantly, helping them understand when to when they have earned the right to sell, mm-hmm. because if you go out and sell on that first, sometimes even second call, like you can just kill that opportunity very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, cause someone has to be prepared to ingest what you're about to say to them. And, you know, 50% of the time, they're probably not. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, um, you know, because obviously, you know, you've come from a sales discipline and structure is important. Do you feel like there's one sales system that works better than the other? You know, I kind of like, I felt like just that line of, um, uh, process. I thought like the challenger sale kind yeah. of methodology. I mean, do you feel like that resonates more in the early stage versus, you know, like a, what do they call it? Stanford, you know, whatever kind of or sales band or all those different. Right. Things. So there, we've kind of boiled it down to three because there's so many variations out there um, and they all kind of get to the same point eventually. Um, My favorite thing to understand is one of, and this is, again, we try and simplify it for founders too. Do they agree that a problem exists? Like, can you get a head nod? Mm -hmm. The second is, is that problem currently being measured or managed? Meaning it's growing. They understand the implications there is possibly an owner. There is a number tied to it that everyone is looking out for. Like what kind of, how does that play out within that organization? And then the third R, the third piece is, have they tried to solve this previously? Meaning their historical mm. intents of them trying to solve that problem. If they agree it's a problem, but those other two questions can't get answered, meaning it's not being measured or managed and there's no historical attempts, it's a false positive. They're just being nice. 
So what we want to help founders weed out are people that are just being nice, um, either because they want to learn more simply because they're curious um, or they just are nice people and don't want to give the harsh feedback. So there's so many false positives that pop up in founder-led selling because who wants to tell a founder, I don't care? That's a yeah, really no hard thing to say. Yeah, no one's going to say that. No one's going to say that. So that's why we've structured that framework because it allows us to easily pick up false positives versus an easy thing to say, or yes, of course there's a budget. Like, um, of course this is a problem. Um, of course this is a priority. Okay, great. Quantify that yes. or, or back that up. So that's really interesting. Is the problem measured or managed? I mean, my first think thought there is like just the healthcare industry where yeah. every, where everything is broken, but you know, everyone's, you know, they can't find their ass with both hands. So would you say that, you know, I mean, the, the house is on fire, right? Yeah. They know something's a problem, but they're not managing or measuring it. Do you still think that the problem doesn't have legs or so if, if it's being measured, but they've never tried to solve for it historically, right? That third criteria, that's when I would raise my eyebrow and say, listen, it's obviously a growing problem because you're measuring it. It's obviously a growing problem because you have a literal, literal individual overseeing it. Why haven't you tried to solve this other ways before? Like, why is this still a problem? And then they're like, because it's good enough. Mm. And then you now know, great, not qualified. Right. Because there's, like, 50, this, because there's 50 other things that are more important. Exactly. And so this is what this framework allows you to stay focused on unearthing a real insight and a real pain point versus, you know, budget, authority, need, timing, or, hey, like, if I gave you back this time, how would you use it? That's future tense. No one can speak to future tense. Mm-mm. You got to focus on past and present. And that's what that framework like roots you in. Um, so that's why we, we force founders to kind of take that, 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 re- that view of uh, needs analysis. You know, and it's funny because I, you know, I, I was, I think about pain points often and, you know, um, when, when it came to, to what you were just talking about, Generally, these problems are not new problems. There are problems that have been within an industry for uh, a, a large portion mm-hmm. of time, but yet they're still unsolved. And so, like, what is the catalytic event that's going to make them buy the software today? And, you know, generally speaking, I mean, everything's been digitized. Right? Yep. Do we do do we need another SaaS platform? Yep. Excel works, right? I mean, so, you know, is there like a fundamental technology shift that? is going to make this problem go away. Right. Um, or is to your point, is this really not that big of a problem? Yeah. And listen, I think that's why the failure rate for startups is so high. Yeah, no, I agree. And so when, when you work with founders, even, you know, you're giving them this, you know, ambrosia elixir of, of self reality and truth, which I believe this, this shit's gold, right. In my opinion, there's probably still an ambivalence, I would think, right? There absolutely, yes. So, like, there what's so once you give them this incredible, like, you know, path and handholding, concierge, like, you know, program? How many founders are just still like, you know, sticking their head in the sand and building? So, the biggest misstep we see, um, and I always caution this to founders, right? So, this is not this is very public amongst our customer base is. 
they take what we did together and they don't go any further. Mm-hmm. Right? So we'll spend 90 days, maybe six months. And they think, okay, in that very short period of time, what jellyfish uncovered, I'm going to go build a business model around this. I'm going to hire a team and we're just going to exploit that thing. And I always say, if we can uncover an insight in 90 days, wouldn't everyone be able to do that? Mm-hmm. It takes two years, two years to get to true product market fit. Why are you stopping to experiment? Why are you hiring people when you, the founder, still haven't pushed these things through the funnel yet? They're sitting maybe in procurement, maybe one deal went through. Like That is not enough to go out and hire a non-founder to take this over. But again, they just want to delegate as fast as possible. And I understand like maybe in the last two years where speed was everything and growth was everything, maybe... Maybe that was the direction they got. But right now in this, in 2023, you need to give yourself two years, right? Of runway and time to go deep, to truly understand the problem and very much understand who your early adopters are going to be. It's not something that it gets accomplished in 90 days or six months. I don't need, I wouldn't even give the grace saying that, you know, speed was the catalyst. I think comfort's the catalyst mm. right? <laughs> disguised That's as a great point yes. as, as seed. I mean, at the end of the day, we all just want our parents to love us. Right. And any type of rejection is like, you know, yeah. it, it's very, it, no one likes that. Yes. That's it. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it is so hard to give sometimes this harsh feedback, but I know I'm increasing their odds by giving them this harsh feedback. So that's mm-hmm. why we have to keep telling our team being like hard truths, increase odds for these folks. Just it's a short term pain, but in the long run, it's um, this is what wins. So the easier thing to do is to have a, um, I guess, parallel process in the sales call founder with experienced salesperson to do discovery correctly. Right. So you're, so the, the truth is being heard by four, two sets of ears, four ears total, right. To kind of get to the truth. Um, the harder thing for a, a founder to do would be to grind out and to change their, their way of thinking, right. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, their lens. So for the founder that, you know, is like, Hey, like this, this really makes sense. I've got happy ears. My, my lens is off. What are some of the steps that you could recommend to them that they can take to mm. maybe is it like, is it discover uh, like a list of questions? Like what, what, how do you, like what, what, how can someone do that without the assistance of the salesperson? Yeah. Um, so the first is knowing that product market fit is always found in an adjacent market, meaning Wherever your initial vision is, it's always going to be one step away from the ICP and or one step away, one step away from the use case you thought you were solving for. Mm-hmm. Right. So just be prepared as a founder to disprove yourself. That is the most powerful thing you can do. You're not wedded to an idea. You are listening. It shows you're learning. Like invalidate. It's my question. I sometimes say to founders, I'm like, if you're constantly validating yourself, are you learning? Mm. Right. So like, show me where you've learned. And the only way to show a learning is to show some level of rejection. Otherwise you're not learning. Um, That's so, so just true. To embrace- like, I, I, I get so much excitement of like, Oh yeah, they're validating what we're saying. And now like, Oh, well, fuck, we were really off there. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, Hey, I was so wrong 
in the last month thinking this, but here's how I changed that. That to me is like the leading indicator of someone that's going to go find product market fit, mm-hmm. right? Like they're not biased. They're not wearing those rose colored glasses. Now, granted, that's usually a second or third time founder, which is why they're so coveted. First time mm-hmm. founders just don't know that game yet or that, right. that feeling. Um, but again, it's, it's all about earning the right to sell and you as a founder, you have a title and you have a vision that people want to learn from you. They do. You're interesting. You have something to say. You have a perspective on the world. You see the world differently and it can, how it could be better. So embrace that people want to learn from you and hear from you. But listen, like to, the, to sell well, you have to pick up on these insights. And the more insights you pick up and the, and the more that you question and say, why, why, why? Like, tell me why this is important to you. Like that's where the nuggets live. That's where the gold lives. It's not in demoing your product. Like demoing your product does not create any sense of urgency. Um, so, you know, for, for founders, it's, it's just really embracing that and just don't delegate. Like you have a competitive advantage right now in the role you're in to sell or, or sorry, to go through the motions of selling and every discovery call is, is a customer is, is a discovery call. Like you're not selling on your first conversation with someone. You're just trying to better understand their world and share a little bit about yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and just question everything and always be learning month over month. Mm-hmm. Um, force yourself to get rejection. Like maybe come even come up with something that seems so far out there to be like, they agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> just keep pushing it. Yeah. Because again, like the only thing that's going to kill you is sometimes just like, it goes back to that tweet confidence before evidence. Right. Right. So how important is bringing in and this kind of goes counterintuitive to kind of what you've been building on, but like, how do you, how do you think about bringing in pricing conversations and, and speaking about value and ROI and, and getting to that, getting to that, you know, that number. Yeah. ROI is tough, especially if you haven't had customers go through yet and you can truly see the value you're delivering. Cause otherwise, how do you justify ROI if no one's actually like stayed on for a year? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so ROI is very tough in the zero to one stage, but the value piece all comes down to understanding how is that problem growing? Cause if they're measuring it and they want to solve for it, the Intel lives with them. Great. Month over month. What are you looking at, at this number? Like, how is this number growing? How is it changing? What is the cost? Every time that goes up by one, what does that cost you? Because again, if something is actively being measured, why? That's what I always want to dig into. Who asked for this measurement? How are you measuring it? Who's in charge of reporting when this number goes over a certain point? What does good look like in terms of changing this measurement? Sometimes it's just shifting it by 2% is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we go in selling, oh, we can reduce your cost by 50%. No one's going to believe that. Yeah, it's all bullshit. So it's always like if they're measuring the problem, right? And there's, that's where I would really pull because that's where the insight's going to come from. And all you're going to do is play that back to them. Be like, mm-hmm. listen, on our last call, you just told me that every, every day that goes by that this is not solved for, it's going to cost you $2,500. Right? So since we last talked, this, this problem has cost you $10,000, mm-hmm. right? Right. So like using their own language just to play it back and position it to them. So they, they just need that aha moment. They just need someone to, um, 
maybe reiterate the problem back to them in a slightly different way for them to be like, oh my God, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting to the truth of this, and this is just kind of affirms everything that you're saying is that like you could go out and get all of this information and all this evidence and you realize that the problem that you just built a shit ton of product on doesn't have legs and it's not really a problem just that sinking feeling in your gut that you fucked up (laughs) yeah right yeah and i can see why it would be it would behoove a founder from just survival mentality to just throw dirt on that yeah, it's it's so hard. I mean, it goes back to that conversation we had about just passion, right? Like I think founders also are put on a pedestal a little too early. Mm. Right? Where they think that they are invincible. Yep. Especially um, after a fundraise. Yeah, they're on fire. That's exact that is when they are the right. hardest to crack. It's usually, and I always say this, I go, the thing that I sometimes struggle with is people come to us too late. We're their Hail Mary. Mm. Right. And I'm like, you're giving me three months to turn a ship around that you've been selling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're spot on. It's the minute they raise venture capital that there's about a three month sprint from there where they are on top of the world. Sure. And so all the money time, is subjected to like a stupid tax, right? Where it just no, gets it, like, blown. It's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stupid tax. If it was their money, they wouldn't have spent it like that. Yeah. Um, yep. So I want to shift the, I mean, this is such good stuff, but I want to, I want to switch this a little bit into maybe, maybe this is a little bit before zero to one. Maybe this is one to two or one to three or one to five. But when the, when the sales person or excuse me, when the founder becomes a sales manager, mm. <laughs> right? <Your> sales. <laughs> yeah. And how that, and that transition, because those are two different, obviously, um, yes. uh, personas and how can a founder effectively go from, you know, being like dealing with these salespeople that are, yeah. you know, essentially yeah. a lot of them are, you know, you, you wind them up and you let them go. Yep. Um, founder manage, manage sales is also the often most skip step too, right? Cause every founder, they do founder led sales and then they race to go higher ahead of sales. So I'm glad that you brought in founder managed sales because it is something that I'm actively like, do not forget this step. This is an important step. Um, so first and foremost, you also want to prove a non-founder can do it before you bring in a VP, right? Cause their job is to scale the team with body count. So you Correct. can be scaling something that a non-founder is not even able to do yet. Correct. So in founder managed sales, I always say, take baby steps, right? First and foremost, can these two salespeople- That's a whole category, by the way. Did you, you should coin, is it coined? Is that like a jellyfish thing? Founder managed sales? I don't know. I just kind of call it that. I don't even know where that came from. No one talks about that, but that's like a real stage that no one talks about. Yeah. It's because it's so unsexy. Yeah. Super unsexy. Yeah. But it's like, it's that, like everyone thinks it's product market fit to scale and it's not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was during Zerp, but yeah. Um, but uh, in the founder, it's, it's, you know, I always say bring on two AEs, right? Because one of them is usually not going to make it, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, in nine out of 10 salespeople can't even punch their way out of a paperback. So if you know how to hire a good salesperson, that's, that's also a good feat. Um, right. So we actually usually will 
if they if they want us to, we'll inter- start to help interview people just because um, early stage sales talent is so hard to know who's good versus who's not. Because mm-hmm. um, most salespeople are are great at selling themselves. But in the founder managed sales stage, first and foremost, can these two salespeople get to a similar, maybe slightly less, it doesn't need to be the, the exact same number, but close enough to what a founder is able to achieve on the outbound? So if a founder can get a 10% outbound response rate, Okay. Can these two AEs bring in a seven to eight percent? Okay. Let's just start there. If they can't, let's diagnose why. Don't even let them go off on their own calls. Let's try and first figure out the most basic step of inspiring the market and what is and what's not working with the outbound messaging. The second piece here is join the first call. Can they run a first call? Are they able to convert and again, the founder just needs to be involved, you know, a little bit early on just to make sure that these people, you know can confidently do it because you don't want to waste leads. You don't Mm -hmm. want to burn brand equity. So there is going to be, it's a big, it's a big lift, right? And then the founder can start to step away more and more. Once these people feel comfortable, they have their groove and they're at, and this is why it's so important to do founder sales. Their conversion rates are getting as close as they can to what the founder is able to achieve. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you can prove that a non-founder can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's really a really important piece. Um, which is in the founder-led sales stage, how long does it take you to close a sales deal? And then what you want to do is make sure that in your CRM that those numbers aren't adjusting too much. I mean, of course, pad it a little bit because the founder is always going to have a little bit more um, ammo, but you know, are they able to achieve a similar conversion rate, similar first to second call, second to third call, third to fourth call? How long does it take them to close these deals? Right? And that could take three to six months of the founder like intimately involved with these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want to compare them against each other. Mm-hmm. Like is one far way outperforming the other? And is that because this person's not good? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's a lot of the stuff that, that we look at and why the founder led sales piece is so critical. Right. And then um, oftentimes maybe the founder thinks that they can just walk away because they have three they salespeople yeah. and, you know, they work on another piece of the business product <laughs> engineering implementation, something, and then they just get pissed at their salespeople that aren't producing. I, uh, I had a chat yesterday over the weekend with someone that says, when does the founder get out of sales? I'm like, I don't think ever because mm-hmm. founder led sales, founder managed, then they bring in someone great. Who's going to unlock a net new market where there's no brand equity and there's still a ton of ambiguity. Right. Tell me about this new jellyfish product. Is it oh, called man of war? Can we call it the man of oh, war? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. We did not name it that we named it select. We should have named it that. So, um, we are creating a lightweight version of our extensive customer discovery program where up the stack, we did everything right. All the risk lived on us. All the finger pointing was at us. We were the throat to choke. Like we were the person to blame, which was great. Like that played a role. Now we're moving a little bit further down the stack where we're like, listen, this can be a lot more economical if the founder does this work now. Like, I'm not going to lead these calls. I'll, I'll provide some, some coaching asynchronously, but like, you have to, you have to get rejected. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you have to feel that pain. I'll help you set up the experiment. I'll give you the framework to run the experiment. I'll even analyze the experiment, but you're leading every single call. And I'm not going to be there alongside you. I'll be on the back end post call, but, um, just finding ways to scale our time and the founder's time through doing the customer discovery stage, knowing that people aren't able to run 
$100,000 experiments anymore, right? Like it's a lot tighter and you have to be a lot more frugal in how you do these experiments. But more importantly, we're also supporting in the founder managed sales stage because we're setting up these experiments, these designs, analyzing the call in terms of like what, what we heard, the pattern recognition, all that kind of stuff. I can now monitor every call of the first two sales hires to make sure that they are performing for the founder as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a so real, there's, there's like a tech enabled aspect of this. Not only can there you is, provide, there is a tech enabled aspect yeah, of this like stuff. you can not only just provide this discovery blueprint, these like Base logic rate. trees, right. But you could also have content, right. That's like oh, yeah. recorded and you know, you can actually jump on and have, you know, uh, you know, coaching calls. I mean, this is very, yeah. very exciting stuff. So we're, we're super pumped about that. Um, it will be live end of the week. Whoa. Yeah. So we have like, I think we have like 15 founders in the beta right now. Awesome. Yeah, so super exciting. I'm a founder. I want, I want to be a part of the man of war experiment. The box jelly. That's another great name. That is a great name. Cause it's like a little bit in a box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the box jelly. Um, uh, I wanted to call it peanut butter, but my <laughs> co-founder was like, I like that. Right. <laughs> All right. Peanut butter and jellyfish. How can a founder get some of the secret sauce? I mean, if a founder asks me to chat for 15 minutes, I'm always happy to. Mm-hmm. I actually believe in education. That's what gets people. Yeah. So that's why I like, I do a lot of Twitter rants. I love mm-hmm. coming on podcasts, like alongside folks like you, because the bar in sales consulting is so low. It's bad. It's so bad. And there's, I, I'm noticing this now, and I'm curious if you've seen this too. There's a lot of bad salespeople that are going earlier stage. Um, and it's becoming somewhat predatory in the sense that they're like, ooh, founders really don't know what good looks like yet. I'm going to play here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of people launch early stage sales consultancies. And like, what? Had I known what it takes to do this, I definitely won't do it again. Yeah. I've seen, um, they last a year. Totally. Well, and that's, yeah, well, that's the problem is like, you don't know they're good for a year. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, but yeah. you know where I see that a lot in early stage is, um, not so much sales consultancies, but like the carry a bag channel sales guy, because the founder, like, you know, gets a channel relationship and they feel like they should go into that, that relationship. Oh. And then they hire like some dude that like, you know, is teaches them all about channel sales and business development. Yeah. And then, you know, like brings in all these partnerships that are unprofitable. And if they do that, you know, and, um, really waste a lot of time and resources. Oh, colossal waste of time. I always say in the early stage, there is no such thing as channel sales. If you don't know how to sell that, how the hell is this third party going to know how to sell it? I like that. There's no such thing as channel sales in the early stage. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a that is a that is a um a mirror like a like smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Enough ranting for today. You think this has been? No, I'm just writing down all this all these pearls here, and then I'm going to like copy them and say they're mine. You should. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you'll know because I'll be on my ex. And <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen, if if you're, if you can help continue to educate the market, that's a win. So if I am, if I was to give you a billboard and to take one of your exes and put it onto a billboard for all the founders to see, what Mm. would, what would it be? 
The number one reason startups don't get to product market fit is because they delegated sales too soon. Got it. So it'd have to be a big billboard. Big billboard. (laughs) Okay. Or, Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything shorter. Um, Channel partnerships are a colossal waste of time. (laughs) I like it. I like it. That's your billboard. Yeah, that's my billboard. Uh, And then the second... um, the second uh, question I'm going to ask you, the second incredibly good question I'm going to ask you is, <laughs> what's the best, uh, what's the, the book that you've given away the most? So I'm going to go with the article that I give. Away. There's two articles that okay. I think, if that's okay with you, and mm-hmm. also everyone can, there's two articles that are absolutely incredible. One is by Jessica Livingston. She wrote it in like 2013, which you know it's great content because it's 2013. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was called Why Founders Need to Focus on Sales Before Marketing. Hmm. I can okay. send you the link too. It's send a great it. yeah, read. S- send it. Yeah, I'll put it in the it show will. notes. Um, and then the, um, the other article that I absolutely love is by Mark Leslie, and it's called The Enterprise Sales Learning Curve. Ooh. Okay. And it's all about how they, they take early stage sales and they compare it to manufacturing, which I love because manufacturing is scale, right? Mm-hmm. And how early stage sales that you have to build the machine, right? And that takes time and you do that at a loss. But that at some point, everything starts to break even and then there's this huge rip up mm-hmm. um, once that first box is made. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, early stage sales, I have to do this like... It, like early stage sales is the most expensive from a timing time perspective because it takes time to build that out, to build the machine, to get that first box through it. But once that first box is through it, then now what it is, is just hiring bodies right? right? and having them replicate it. And it's a great read. I love how it compares it to manufacturing. Um, it was in the Harvard business review. It's, I think it's from like 20, 2009, Ooh, okay. So my I favorite like content is like 2009 to like 2015. <laughs> and it just all went downhill from there. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> then you got, you had a lot of tourists that started writing and. Right. Exactly. Now with ChatGPT, we're all. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Right. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the Capital Stack. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell a friend, and we drop an episode every week and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.